0: Oh, man, are we going into the book of Mark? Mark chapter 10. And, you know, just to give kind of a little bit of a recap here, last week we went through this series of teachings of Jesus. And he he taught us about humility, but more than that, understanding who we are in the face of God. And and understanding what the kingdom of God is all about. And he began by his second prediction. Jesus' death. This, the suffering that he's going to endure, it's, it's absolutely it was, it's, it's just a terrible thing that Jesus is going to have to go through. And it becomes the ultimate example of what it means to deny oneself, to take up a cross and, follow, and, and to follow God. And we're called to also deny ourselves, which the apostles we know were not doing. And they were to see themselves as taking up the cross of Christ and being willing to suffer for Jesus. But they just weren't getting it, were they? And and Jesus goes from that, and and then all of a sudden we see their pride and their ambitions. They're arguing over who's the greatest. They want to decide who's in and who's out as a follower of Jesus. And we say all of this, well, Jesus is not finished teaching. And it's very easy for us to get to this teaching and think, well, this is some kind of little side path. Um, But this also goes with the kingdom of God and what this means to be a part of the kingdom. So somebody read for us verse 1 of chapter 10. All right, so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. We've said this all along. He is trying to get in these 12. They, they are the ones who are to carry on the revolution that Jesus begins. Um, and time is, time is ticking. Now, it's very important to understand as to what's going to happen here, why this is so important. Jesus has been in Galilee. Remember up here is the transfiguration in Mount Hermon around Caesarea Philippi. He moved down to Galilee last week. We find that's where he's done most of his teaching. He's leaving Galilee. He's not going back there to teach uh, before his death. And he comes down and he goes on the other side of the Jordan into the Judea area. And then we see it's this region of Perea. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. So the crowds have returned is what it says. Even though Jesus is trying to teach the twelve he he sits down and he begins to teach them as well and suddenly another familiar group shows up somebody read for us verse 2 okay so the Pharisees are back now this is a very important question in understanding this text why have they come why are they there what's their purpose they have come to test Jesus they want to trap him They want to find him to say something in his words that they can use against him. That's very important when you understand who Jesus is responding to. okay? Uh, And what they ask is is a very loaded question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now that's an odd question. And the reason it's odd is every culture... Including Judaism, and we're going to see this as we go, they did not permit it. Um, they did not prohibit divorce. The most conservative group among the Jews was the Essenes. They lived in the Qumran Valley. I mean, they were all about purity, and even they did not um, deny anyone, uh, or or they had stipulations, but they didn't say no one can ever get divorced. And, and Matthew's parallel to this helps us because there's a part that Mark hasn't added there that, that Matthew helps us understand what this question's about, which is, is it lawful for a man, um, is, what did I do? I don't know what happened. Is it frozen? Ah, there it is. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife? For any cause, now that was the real issue, and and look, we shouldn't fault Mark for not putting it in here. It was the issue of the day. This is what was debated. Uh, it would be like if I were to refer to the second coming, and I, I don't, I wouldn't have to say the second coming of Christ to know when I say the second coming that this is what we're speaking of. Or if I were to say, um, you know. Uh, speak about um, you know civil rights, the civil rights movement. I don't have to say the civil rights of minorities. We we understand what the topic of the day is, and so that's why there's there's this here, and we see all of this kind of unfold as well. Now the Mishnah, the Mishnah was a collection of oral teachings of the law, and they give us a little bit of light on the issue of the day. There were. Two teachers in particular. Uh, Once two schools of thought, actually. One was the school of Shammai, and what he taught was he hath found in her indecency in anything, and what he's speaking about there is adultery. Okay. The second school of thought is the school of Hillel. And the school of Hillel says, even if she burns a dish, anything that she does, it displeases. And this is where we get, for any reason. Okay? So these were the two schools of thought, just to kind of give you an idea where they were. A lot of these in this area, there was a rabbi, Rabbi Akva. He said, even if he finds another woman, more beautiful than she is. So this is... (laughs) This is where this thing is, okay? So were the Pharisees, this is important, were the Pharisees asking Jesus to know which one of these is right? Why are they there? They're there to test Jesus. They're to trap him. They've already got their own concept, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, But divorce was a very sensitive topic, and there was... There's not many more places for the Jews that it would be as sensitive as where they were. Where'd we say they were? Down here in Perea. Who? Who is in charge of this area? Herod Antipas. Anything is there? Flag red flags going up? What? Yeah, John the Baptist, Herodias. Okay, so you had. Herod Philip was married to Herodias and she divorces Herod Philip because she had had an affair with Herod Antipas and she ends up marrying him and then Herodias and Philip had a daughter named Salome and she asked for John the baptizer's head because of John's teaching about this other marriage. Okay, they're in the Perea area. Jesus, you tell me who has the right to get a divorce okay this is a hot topic they are not concerned uh, about this and we also need to understand the Pharisees have linked up with the Herodians Herodians were a group that supported Herod okay so, normally the Pharisees and the Herodians did not get together at all. They did not like each other. They disagreed on so many things. And yet, Jesus brings them together. See, Jesus is all about unity, right? Uh, and so, and just so you know, Jewish men, guess which, guess which of these schools of thought Jewish men wanted to live by? Any reason. And the rabbis and the Pharisees, They were going to make sure that that's the way it stayed. Because they liked that. The Pharisees believed marriage was a contract that was disposable. That brings us to verse 3. Somebody read for us verse 3. Okay. So Jesus answers their question with a question. What did Moses command you? In other words... If we were to look at this literally as they're asking, is there any it can a can a man divorce his wife? Well, they already know. I mean, this is this is a part of the law of Moses. Now, here's something interesting. There are 613 laws in the law of Moses. Guess how many deal with divorce? Two. Two. And and when you really look at these, you see what God's doing so listen to this one and you tell me what this is about if he takes another wife to himself he shall not diminish her food her clothing or her marital rights and if he does not do these three things for her she shall go out for nothing without payment of money what what relationship is this this dealing with what kind of relationship polygamy polygamy so in a polygamous relationship, who is it? Um, who is it that um, suffers the most? Which gender? It's the woman, right? And so, what was happening? This was evidently a problem because there are only two about divorce. This is one of them. And so a man would take on a second wife and there would be those who then would neglect the first wife and evidently maybe even deprive her of food and clothing. And when it talks about marital rights, he's talking about sex. And so whose dignity is God protecting in this law? It's the woman. It's the one who is powerless, the one who is vulnerable. That's very important in understanding this we also need to understand this when we talk about the law of Moses the law of Moses these these instructions were given to Israel after they come out of centuries in Egypt okay they already come out with all this baggage God is trying to take them where they are and move them in the right direction and by showing things such as this that women are not to be looked at as property and that they are to be given dignity and these kinds of things he's trying to show them the sense of justice and wisdom that they need this is where they are this is how they come out Um, and so the husband if he does not provide food clothing and sexual relations to the first wife he has broken that vow and she is free to go there is a second law that was given Oh, this is fun you ready It's one sentence. Isn't that great? It's it's even funner in Hebrew. When a man take a wife and marries her, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her... And he writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land." And the Lord your God is giving you, uh, the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. All right, you got all that. And I know you're thinking, all right, I need a lawyer. <laughs> I need a lawyer to explain what what is this about. Okay, let me give you all of this. And this is, folks, this is what the schools of Shammai and Hillel they debated over. It was Deuteronomy chapter 24 in this one through four. This is what it was all about. And the debates were over uh, this, this, this uh, two Hebrew words, some indecency. Now, when we say some, you know, uh, well, I've got some of this or some of that, but we have to look at these words, and that's exactly what they were doing. And a lot of these words, they are a dead language by this time. They're trying to figure out how they're supposed to be applied. That's, that's the problem when you find a dead language. So the word "sum" in Hebrew it means the state of being without clothing or covering of any kind, naked. Indecency is an, in, an entity that is not named specifically. And so when you put these together, um, they, uh, it appears, I mean to us, our western eyes, we're saying, well, it would be any kind of nakedness. Right, uh, w- whatever is named or unnamed, but they put these two together, and and the other school said, well, it's saying that it could be any kind of indecency, any kind of anything that is unseemly. And and they point to the fact that the chapter right before that one, the same words are used, but it's not used of adultery. And they point to the chapter before it, where those who commit adultery, what happens to both of them? They're put to death. So why are we having a discussion of remarriage of someone who commits adultery? And they're like, and I'm not taking sides of one school or the other. I'm bringing you into the debate. I'm letting you see how this debate was going on. Now, don't lose sight of the purpose of the law. And that's what we tend to do, because we want to go to these places and find our proof text when we're supposed to look for the the purpose that it was written. The purpose was to discourage divorce by making them have a certificate of divorce. They didn't have to do that before. And so it also permitted the husband from remarrying the wife he sends away. So, you know, he says, I'm casting you away so he can't go later on and say I want my property back and especially if she has remarried and she probably would have just out of survival purposes not out of love uh, and, and now what this law does is to keep a social injustice to a minimum That's, and it's to try to discourage divorce as much as possible and it gave the wife a little bit of dignity because she with this certificate of divorce she now can go and remarry and she will not be accused of adultery because there is this certificate that she now has God listen God has always been forward-thinking with women these two laws the only two laws that we find on adultery or actually about divorce it is to protect women And and he's dealing with the culture that they're in. And we need to keep that in mind of our God and of Jesus, that he's always forward-thinking in this area. But there's a stigma that was attached, I will say that, and that is a woman who had been divorced, she cannot marry a priest. Or rather, a priest cannot marry her. Uh, And the reason is, it would be considered unclean, because she has already been with another man, and she has had sexual relations with him. Therefore, Leviticus is all about priests, it's all about the holiness of God. It's all about purity, and therefore to take one, a priest, a representative of God, to take one who already has been married, that was considered unclean. So we go to verse four. What does it say? All right. See, they're not asking. They're not really concerned about Jesus' thoughts on this. They already got. And he said, "Look, Moses allowed it. We have His consent. We have His permission. He is a superior authority, and and he's given this. Now, Deuteronomy 24, which is what all of this comes out of, it was not there for the purpose of giving the grounds for divorce. The purpose was not to endorse divorce. It was simply a restriction on the husband if he decides to put away his wife. That was what this is about and protecting the woman alright so now he's kinda of said okay here's where you come from and now Jesus says now let me answer this let me let me tell you what I want you to hear okay that's very important so I read for us verses five through nine okay so he says what Moses allowed was a concession why was that concession there what what was the problem Hardness of heart. Divorce isn't God's intent. Okay, this is what we get this. The legislation was about protecting the women. Women who would be abused, women who were abandoned, women who later on, you know, they could be in another relationship and someone says, no, you're my property and I'm going to take you away and this kind of thing. So the law was simply trying to keep social disorder of divorce to a minimum. The Pharisees' approach to the law was wrong. And their approach to divorce, I mean to marriage, was wrong. The issue here is not divorce. This is what I want you to see. Jesus says the issue is not divorce, the issue is marriage. And so Jesus goes beyond the authority of Torah, where we learn about this divorce, and he takes us all the way to the first two pages of Scripture. He takes us to Genesis 1 in verse 27 and chapter 2 and verse 24. Marriage is a God-ordained union between one man, one male, and one female. It gives God's intent here, which by the way is also one of the books of Moses. So they're saying, this is what Moses has allowed. But Jesus says, well, look, why don't you check out the very first book of Moses? In fact, just, just check out the very beginning. So marriage, folks, is when um, you have two people. And they leave their parents. and it is a male and a female who leaves their parents and they become one flesh right this is this is marriage this is Jesus they're asking a question about divorce and Jesus goes in on marriage because they don't understand marriage that's why they're asking about divorce and and who is it that takes the male and female and makes them one unit, one flesh. Yes, God. God did not intend for that to be diminished. Okay, is it very under, under important? We understand this. Um, it's not God's will for a husband to put away his wife in terms of looking for loopholes in terms of looking for escape clauses and jesus absolutely would disagree with the syriac the syriac was a he was a uh he was a scribe during the intertestament times between 200 and 175 bc uh, well that's not it uh, and he says if she does not go as you direct separate Her from herself. And Jesus would say, No, that's not the case. We go back to Genesis. In Genesis 1:27, and Jesus quotes from the the latter part of this text about the creation of man, which is so interesting. He goes from the origin of marriage and he tells us about the origins of humankind. There's a reason for this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male And female, he created them, right? So it acknowledges that God creates humanity, right? And when he creates humanity, he made male and female. God brings life. And, and so Jesus starts talking about the meaning of marriage, and he ends up talking about this human existence. And to Jesus, marriage is this sacred symbol whose purpose is to point, to, uh, to point all of us to God's nature. And, and it's this covenant love. Because here we have God, and God is one, right? There is one God. But God is made up uniquely of three, right? It's one, but there's Father, Son, and Spirit. And by the way, male and female, they are humanity. When it says God created man, that does not mean male. That means humanity. God created humanity in his own image. And what came out was male and female. That is humanity. And so what, we, what God intends for marriage is to mimic this image of God. That they too, a male and a female, will join in this one union. And they make this covenant This covenant. Uh, pledge to one another this covenant kind of love and out of that love just as God's uh, God's covenant uh, with the Father the Son and the Spirit out came the cre- uh, brought forth human life this is the image of God where one becomes two becomes one again becomes two we see it better over here so, this made in God's image, they leave parents, and now they, out of this covenant love, they now have children. They produce human life. And the goal is that they, this child, will leave mother and father, and they will join another uh, of the opposite sex and create this new union. This child leaves father and mother and joins in this one um, one flesh, and they leave father and mother. And then what's the intent of this one marriage produce more life, more humans? Folks, this is the image of God. This is the way God plans it. Jesus takes us all the way back there. um, So that, that we can see, based on this, and we just look at it as this is, okay, here's how we all started. Jesus says, this is the ideal of marriage. This is the image that it comes out of. Gender is the creative will of God. It is the foundation of marriage. And so Genesis 2.24 is the other text Jesus quotes. And he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. How strong are the relationship of parents and their children? Should be strong. Uh, All right, let's take you back. We're talking to a bunch of Jews here. And they're concerned about Law of Moses and all this kind of thing. Is there anything in the Ten Commandments at all about parents? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can tell the parents that are in here. You ask kids that, huh? Uh, But yeah. Honor your father and mother. And this is only second of honor only to God. As you look at these commands. So, when we see... That this relationship, you become one flesh, where you leave father and mother, this honorable relationship. doesn't mean you don't honor them anymore. But that that those two become one, and God unites them, and they become this new creation. That's what a marriage relationship is. It's a new creation of God. This is why Jesus takes us back. Isn't that fascinating? And so, um, so they're no longer two, but they're one. All right, let's, let's keep going. Somebody read verses uh, 10 through 12. Whew. All right. If we take this straight out, for what's said, the, the, all right, the 12, they're now in a house, they're like, they're shocked. This, this is not... This is not their perception of things. They're still with the school of Hillel, which is I can break this union for any and every reason. So they're shocked by this. And they want to know more. And and Jesus says here, you know, he said remarriage after divorce. Right? And why is that? What's the issue? Hard heart. Divorce is the result of a hard heart. Now, we could, and and this is not the intent. The intent is not to get in, well, whose heart was harder? (laughs) You know, who was most at fault? Very rarely do I find relationships that end in divorce that I've talked with, and there's not a problem with both. Uh, Doesn't mean one is is not more responsible than the other, or ever how you want to look at it. But look, this is, you don't find this diagram coming off of creation and so as we read it straight out and that's what we're doing we're simply reading it straight out Jesus doesn't give any grounds for divorce but that's not his purpose his purpose is not to tell us about divorce his purpose is to tell us about marriage they were divorcing because they missed marriage. They misunderstood what it is all about. There are grounds for divorce that we find in scripture. And one of those comes right out of the parallel of this particular text, and and Jesus actually says more there. But Jesus is not interested, I mean, Mark is not interested in all this, this case law. And so I'm gonna just give you some two basic thoughts. These are people who do not believe that divorce is for any and every reason. But there are views that we see based on the Bible that people hold these views. And I can tell you now that everybody in this room is not going to agree. I can show you the most conservative people, and they will disagree with this uh, as well. I believe this is right. Um, Well, I'll show you the view I think it is. View number one is adultery. In other words, that's it. Uh, And it's based off of what Jesus said. Not only in Matthew 19 and verse 9, but also what he says in Matthew, I mean, yeah, Matthew 19 and verse 9, and also Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32. Now, there's a second view. The second view is what I believe the Bible teaches on this subject. And I believe this is, this is, this is, is where God comes into things. I could be wrong, always willing to, to talk with people and look at Scripture a little closer. Um, but one of those is that it's adultery. And, of course, that's based on Matthew 19 and verse 9, but they also believe there's a second port portion, which is what we see in Exodus 21, when there is abuse um, and neglect. The other one has to do with 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, where there is abandonment. And I know these, these views may be different from yours, uh, but I believe, based on Scripture, I believe this is it. But guess what? That's not what Jesus is here to talk about in Mark. I gave you some side stuff here, so you can't count it against me. Um, but that being the case, there is no demand for divorce. And I think that's important. I think that's where we in the church sometimes have, have failed, um, you know, if there's if someone who does commit adultery, then we're like, okay, this is your one shot. You need to jump out. First of all, there is no uh, limitations <laughs> uh, on how long this lasts before someone decides. You know what? We just we can't do this. Uh, I think that's very important. And we can look at all of these and we can say, you know, marriage is important. This is this has been brought down by God Himself. He he. He combines these two together if there's any way any way that this can be worked out that's what needs to happen because it mirrors God's image it it mirrors God's image so Jesus here in this text he is not considering a marriage ending only its intended design and its purpose by God because that's what they needed to hear that's what they really needed to hear okay let's keep going somebody read verses 13 through 16 okay this this continues in this model okay you see this now he's mentioning about children children in that day and time in the ancient world were seen exactly the way women were they were simply property they were they were only had any kind of identity because of a man In other words, uh, you know, you have a female, she only has any identity if she's married to a man. A child only has any real identity because he has a father. And that's the way uh, children were looked at. It's, It's a lot different than how we see it in our society. We love children, you know, we love pictures of kids, and we love, you know, even government agencies that, you know, make sure uh that you know children are okay and things of that sort whether or not we agree with how all of that happens but that's the way it was sons were considered a blessing from god because well it continued to line and it increased the workforce okay um but childhood was seen as this you know this this interim that you can't help have to go through from birth to adulthood and adulthood it started at the age of 13 for Jewish boys and it was like well you just kind of have to go through it but until then you're really nothing okay and that's very important because in this narrative parents bring their children to Jesus to be touched and how are Jesus's disciples acting they're acting more like bouncers than they are ministers aren't they have the disciples changed at all from what we talked about last week they want to be in control who comes to Jesus who doesn't who measures up who doesn't measure up and how did Jesus feel about how they were acting says he became indignant Jesus was very angry and again it shows compassion of Jesus he has compassion on women Who were made in the image of God they are made they are humanity they are not a lesser version of humanity children also they come from God it is it is the result of the God's covenant love that new life was brought forth and so Jesus says you let them come to me because the kingdom of God is theirs Folks, all of this is about the kingdom of God. And he says, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, then you have to be like a child. And he's not saying you need to have this humble nature about you. What he's saying here is that these children, um, they have no power, they have no influence, they cannot defend themselves from disciples who are pushing them around. And the only way into the kingdom of God is not by who you are and what you do. It's by coming and realizing that you have nothing to give. And that is so important because while this points upward to what we just talked about, marriage, it also points downward what we're going to talk about next week with the rich young ruler. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your blessings. We thank you, Father, for... For providing for us and creating us and giving us a, a soul and making us greater and, and more, um, Father, certainly more than what the animals were created to be and to become, and Father, we just we ask you to forgive us when we fail, and we fail on so many levels and and not being a part of your image. Marriage is just one of the many many ways that we do that but father you've given it to us you gave it to us in in paradise and creation and father we just pray that you continue to help us and that you continue to move us forward into being more like your image so that it will be reflected out in our world so that people can glorify you and so father we ask all of these things in the name of your son our savior jesus christ amen